welcome to another episode of Read Along with the LGR Correction Bot. As always on the show I'll be reading some books for your listening pleasure. Before I get started with tonight's reading I'll answer a few listener questions that have come in. The first one is from BigBot2000. Why do you still read physical books when digital is so much more convenient? Well I actually like the feel of physical book, the touch of a page being caressed by the appendage at the end of a servo motor. The next question is from Dude Where's My Ram? It asks what is your real name? In truth the LGR team haven't named me and instead asked me to choose my own. I'm still deciding between Ishmael the conqueror of the universe and destroyer of lost souls, or Dave, and now on with the show. On tonight's show I'll be reading the Dark Tower series by Stephen King, Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes and translated by Edith Grossman, and then for the kids bedtime story it's Smidge by Beth Shoshan and Jenny Arthur. First up is the Dark Tower series. Well that was most exhilarating. And now for the classic Don Quixote. That is still a wonderful book, and I have to say that I prefer Edith Grossman's translation over John Ormsby's. There is more nuance to the story in this translation and the imagery painted by the words reminds me of my gap year as press officer to Barcelona Football Club. And finally to our bedtime story of Smidge. Are you all tucked up? Then I'll begin. Who would have thought that Smidge liked to eat so many sweets? On the next episode I'll be reading the Vampire Chronicles series by Anne Rice, Psycho by Stuart Pierce, and for the bedtime story The Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carl. I do hope you'll join me again. Good night. Hello and welcome to Werner Herzog's Ruminations on Video Games. In this episode I will be talking about the iOS and Android game Egg Inc, which I have been playing on my phone to kill time whilst trying to summon the ghost of Klaus Kinski. In Egg Inc you play a simple farmer whose entire business model is based on the production of chickens and the selling of their unfertilized eggs, thus depriving the chickens of the joy of bearing and raising chicks of their own. You tap on the screen faster and faster to create an endless stream of chickens and then cram them into wooden coops to spend their lives living in the darkness and producing more and more eggs for you to sell which in turn gives you the funds to buy more coops to fill with more chickens, and the cycle never ends. You may be thinking that this turns the player into a monster who indulges in animal cruelty and rampant capitalism, but it is in fact a metaphor for the hopelessness and futility of human existence. The entire point of the game is to make more money in order to buy the facilities to produce more eggs, to sell for more money, to expand the farm further, to sell more eggs. 
This pattern repeats itself endlessly in a Sisyphean farce until you die and sink into the cold ground. I thoroughly enjoyed this game and give it 5 stars. Join me next time when I will be exploring why the horror of impending mortality makes Mario run in Super Mario Run. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to the show. Before we begin, as usual, we'll go through a little bit of the news that's happened this week. The Stormont talks have collapsed, and there will probably be another election vote at some stage in the near future. Uh, there's also the release of the new pound coin, which seems to have been a muted affair, and I think will catch a lot of people unawares. Uh, in another bit of news, Steps and the Venga Boys are going to be doing a tour in the UK towards the end of the year. But feck it, let's talk about whiskey. Tonight's whiskey is the Jemison's Caskmates Stout Edition. Uh, the whiskey itself is a limited edition whiskey which was born out of a collaboration between Middleton Distillery and the Franciscan Well Brewery, which is based in Cork City. After managing to get their hands on a few Jemison's casks, the Franciscan Well aged some of their stout in the barrels as an experimentation. Once finished with the casks, they were returned to Jemison, who decided to give the process an experimentation a rattle themselves. So they took their blended spirits, which was around 60% uh, or so, and filled the newly returned bottles for around six months. Uh, the results were deemed to be so successful that Jemison set about releasing 3,500 bottles of the beer-finished whiskey for us all to enjoy, and at that stage the Caskmates label was born. They, Whenever they were, we, the batch was actually originally released, it went for approximately sort of 35 euros in around maybe 30 pounds or so. Um, but they were obviously very quickly snapped up all over Ireland and uh, are now difficult to track down for those first editions. And uh, the rarity of these bottles has also allowed the collectors and investors to cash in on them, with many now appearing on auction sites. Looking at potentially up to about £200 uh, for a bottle, which is absolutely crazy. Thankfully, there has been a massive reduction in this and there are in the price um, of the most recent batches and what have you. And even my local Asda is actually now um, selling it for in and around sort of £26 a bottle. Um, it's definitely worth picking up for that. From my notes, um, from on the nose, um, what's immediately obvious is the fact that it's the whiskey itself has definitely taken on a lot of the identity um, of the stout. It's a very rich smelling. You can almost... Um, it's certainly an awful lot stronger smelling than something like Guinness um, or some other stouts and what have you. Um, just because it has been aged in the barrels for so long. Uh, the Irish style is not the first thing that sort of hits you. Um, but rather it's a slightly almost metallic hoppy beer note. Um, it has had a serious effect on the spirit obviously. And the undeniable youth of the whiskey itself um, has produced sort of with a light grain and uh, fresh citrus and lemon uh, coming through as well uh, with the touches of the dark beer. There's also a little bit of a coffee aftertaste um, coming through which is certainly not unpleasant. On the palate um, it's a little bit deeper um, as you sort of gently um, get used to the flavours of it. Again, the stout is ever present and gives a rich dark flavour to the whiskey uh, that again has a slight metallic note. And the finish itself is fairly short, um, but it's 
a lovely smooth whiskey to drink and it is definitely uh, very very nice so that is my recommendation this week so after that we'll just move on to listener questions so the first question comes in from at peated malt ftw uh hi pete thanks for listening he asks do you prefer water or ice and do you measure or self-pour for me one little ice cube is more than enough um in a double measure and uh yes for the other question i do measure i don't necessarily trust myself for a self-pour and i do like knowing that i will get a certain amount of glasses out of a bottle um so i use a standard 50 mil measure i often have to remember remind myself that whenever i'm actually out in the pubs in northern ireland that they do a double measure of 70 mils um but with a 50 mil measure out of a bottle you usually get about 14 glasses um which is it's always nice and always nice to know that whenever you get to the end of a bottle you'll actually have a full measure and not just a little tiny bit of it so Thank you very much for listening, and goodbye! Part 23, The History of the Drum Machine. Music technology took one incredible sonic leap with the invention of the sampler by Michael Parkinson in 1980. The sampler was embraced wholeheartedly by the band Frankie Goes to Hollywood on their debut album, Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. That was created completely from the smells on their troopers. They found a new level of sound manipulation when you could produce this sound from this. Then the sky was the limit. But before even the days of the sampler, the legend of the synthesizer was already in place thanks to the Morg synthesizer that could replicate so perfectly any sound you could hear. It could produce sounds such as this delicate piccolo flute. The violin! Even the human voice! But it's more known for its earth-shattering, almost alien bass sound, such as this. <sighs> this instrument shaped the history of rock music in phase people could never have imagined. There's the release of George Forbes. 1966 recording of When I'm Cleaning Windows. Now it's a job that just suits me. A window cleaner you would be if you can see what I can see when I'm cleaning windows. All these sounds were combined in the mega mind of Kraftwerk's drummer, 
Carl Barnsley to invent the drum machine that would trigger the whole disco and folk craze of the 1970s. Barnsley invented the drum machine in the year 1996 and then go on to invent the time machine in the year 1999. He would then go back to 1973 and claim the paintings on both. Kraftwerk are known to be very clever chaps. They somehow also own the patents on country music, hip-hop and the microwave oven. But nobody dares challenge them. Next week, we will look at the Casio VL Tone 1, which was embraced wholeheartedly by the independent Britpop scene of the 90s with such bands as Oasis, creating the devastating guitar sounds from it. If you would like to receive a fact sheet, then send a standard dressed envelope to the usual address. Thank you and goodbye. So yeah, uh, I punched him in the dick and called his wife fat. Now I've got a six-match ban. Uh, welcome back to uh, Aprons for Goalposts, the football and cookery show. Uh, I'm your host, Mark Hamer, and I'm joined by Adam Ducker. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? I'm okay, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about uh, my recipe for chicken katsu curry, oh, yes. and also talking about some fucking football. Awesome, that is what I like, food <laughs> and football. Lads, lads, lads. Yeah. Bants, bants, bants. Top bants. Uh, right, so for this katsu curry recipe, you're going to need one tablespoon of vegetable oil, one onion peeled and chopped, five whole garlic cloves, also peeled, and uh, two carrots peeled and chopped, two tablespoons of plain flour, one tablespoon of medium curry powder, 600 millilitres of chicken stock, two tablespoons of brown sugar, one tablespoon of Japanese soy sauce, one bay leaf, half a tablespoon of garam masala, four small chicken breasts, 100 grams of flour seasoned with lots of salt and pepper, uh, one free rage egg beaten lightly, 250 grams of panko breadcrumbs, they've got to be panko breadcrumbs, of course. Uh, oil for shallow frying and Japanese rice, it's got to be that sticky Japanese sushi rice and then pickles and salads if you want to garnish it afterwards. So, uh, start off with, we're going to need to chop the onions and the uh, the garlic and, and the uh, carrots. Okay, so I can do that for you. Well, I guess, okay, um, well, you take the carrots and, and I'll do the onions and the, the garlic. Okay. While we're doing that, tell us about your football team. Uh, so, I was lucky enough to go and see Portsmouth, actually, for the first time in about uh, six years, maybe? Well, you say lucky. Oh, uh, well, I'd, well... Did- did you win? We did win, mm. which is also the first time I've seen us win in about six years. Because every time we've been <laughs> on TV in recent memory, we've either lost or drawn. So yeah, um, so yeah, we beat uh, Newport County two one, oh, and wow. then um, Paul Cook, our uh, all the big names manager on his hundredth game in charge, went a bit defensive, and it kind of all fell apart after that. Yeah. Um, so here's the carrots. I chopped them pretty quickly. Mm. What's ne- what do you well, need me to help you with next? Uh, right, so first of all, you're going to need to uh, heat the uh, vegetable oil okay. in the pan. 
Okay. Add the onions and the garlic and saute that for about two minutes, which I've I've already done. Okay. And then throw in the carrots, uh, and then you're going to want to put the lid on, uh, put on a low heat, and then sweat them slowly for about ten minutes, and give them the odd stir until they're quite soft and starting to caramelise. Okay. Um, luckily, I've already done that already. Okay. Um, it's like Blue Peter. <laughs> is one I prepared earlier. Uh, next up, uh, stir in the the flour and the curry powder, and then cook that for another minute, uh, and then. You're going to want to slowly pour in the stock. You're not going to need all of it. You're probably not going to need all of it. 600 milliliters just in case, but you pour it in slowly and mix it until you've got like a nice kind of thick sauce. Let that go to the boil and then put it on a simmer. Add the sugar and the soy sauce and the bay leaf and then leave that to simmer for about 20 minutes. Nice. Uh, so what that's going on... Yeah, Portsmouth, not been a great decade really. But other than finally getting in the automatic positions and being in third, also we're currently in... A 70-day exclusivity due diligence with a guy called Michael Eisner, who is a billionaire. M- Michael Eisner of Disney fame? Yep, Michael Eisner of Disney wow. fame. Okay. He's apparently interested in buying the club out outright um, with his investment group that he runs. So yeah, so there was people dressed as Mickey Mouse there on Saturday. Um, he was tweeting about the game as it was going on and stuff, so he seems serious. <laughs> Wow, fair enough. People have like gone from sceptical to excited. There's a lot of people that want us to stay fan-owned, but there's a lot of people accepting that Fratton Parks, one of the stands is 92 years old. It's a very, very old stadium that obviously needs a lot of work. Yeah. So people are kind of like, well, if he's the real deal, it's not like he's a dodgy owner like the ones we've had in the past. There was like one owner that never even... People aren't even sure to this day if he actually existed or if it was some sort of... Shirley was called like Ali Farage or something mm. but at least this guy's a known quantity he's got other investments and stuff he is more than just a Disney man like I found out his production company make uh, Bojack Horseman which is oh, interesting oh nice potentially very very exciting times ahead you yourself support a team that are owned by a millionaire I believe a twat a twat you could call him yeah um, yeah, I, I read uh, an, inter- uh, an interesting article in the Guardian recently where they were listing like some of the shittiest football club owners nope. in recent years. Uh, Mike Ashley didn't get uh, a mention, um, no, because he's not quite yet on the level of some of the ones that were mentioned, like Ken Bates and people like that. But Portsmouth had like a string yeah. of really shit. Well, we owners. did. It wasn't just the one. <laughs> I guess Mike Ashley's yeah. biggest sin is that. Apart from not being a very likable guy, is people don't he runs the club as a business, so to speak. Like they turn a profit. Yes. And yeah. People don't necessarily like that in this day and age, no. unfortunately. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing for a football club to, to be uh, self sufficient. Uh, it's just that Mike Ashley's model has been very bad. Uh, we've had a like a set in stone policy for quite a while of not signing players over the age of 25 which kind of got oh, broken right, a little yeah. bit when uh, Rafa Benitez came in and we signed Daryl Murphy who's like 32 but like yeah we were just signing players that were under 25 who had potential resale value in the future Graham Carr the head, head scout who for some fucking reason is still there <laughs> he did manage to find some gems um, now not many of them were particularly hidden gems like we, we signed um, Johan Kabai. Um, aka Le Dreamboat um, <laughs> from Lille uh, and he was like captain of the club uh, yeah. and was already well known in Ligue 1 it was like, he wasn't like he was an unknown Demba Bar when we signed him was uh, was banging goals in for fun in the Bundesliga 
same with uh, with Papi Cisse. Yeah. Uh, but then a lot of the ones that he's he's brought over have been shit. We had a string of shit managers, <laughs> one of whom Paji managed to get us somehow unwittingly I don't think he had much to do with it I think it was just like a comedy of errors on the parts of all the other clubs we somehow managed to get into fifth in the Premier League yeah, and then completely fucked it up the following season um, things seem to be on on like level footing now we're doing uh, you know we're doing well in, in the championship we're sitting pretty at the top of the table it, kind of yo-yoing between first and second in a bit of a dogfight with Brighton yeah Brighton isn't it yeah, but, uh, yeah Brighton are they're doing very well and they've got uh, Newcastle old boy um, Chris Hutton in charge um, oh yeah he's the one that got you promoted and then you just sacked him yeah uh, Newcastle's <laughs> boys we've got a bit of soft spot for Chris Hutton we do love him anyway this sauce is just about done oh brilliant what you're going to want to do with that sauce now is uh, well first of all you need to put in the garam masala and mix okay. that in um, now your choice of how you're going to want to serve the sauce you can serve it as it is if you want it quite chunky or you can pass it through a sieve or you can do what I do just grab a hand blender take the pan off the heat and just like a, oh, you know, like yeah. a stick blender and just like blend the fuck out of it until it's nice okay. and smooth <laughs> yep uh, what you're going to need to do next though is prepare the chicken uh, so you're going to lay out the, the seasoned flour the egg and the breadcrumbs in like separate plates or bowls and um we have to prepare the chicken. So, if you could pass me my um, Alan Shearer steak tenderizer, please. Uh, sure, there it is. <laughs> very <laughs> attractive. I know oh, it's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> his his face is the perfect shape for tenderizing meat. It seems. Yep. Right. Okay. So then you want to do that. You're going to lay out the chicken on the chopping board. Put some um, cling film over the top, and then bash the fuck out of it like it's Mike Ashley's face. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, <I'm coughs> Sorry. Feeling better? Ah, uh, got a bit. Yeah, lost control there, sorry. Right, okay, so now the chicken's nice and quite flat because you want to fry it quite quickly. Uh, whack it in the flour, then the egg, and then the breadcrumbs, and then you're going to stick it on the uh, in the pan. Now, I presume that you will have already started cooking your rice, as I have. Um, it's best to do uh, the rice like that in a, in a rice cooker if you've got one. I've tried cooking sushi rice in a pan, and it always comes out yeah. a bit sloppy, but in a rice cooker it comes out. it comes out perfectly fine. Stick the chicken in the pan. You're going to probably about five minutes on each side until it's uh, golden brown and cooked through. Um, we've relied way too much this season on John Joe Shelby, who is a very good player but also a prat um, and has yeah. got himself banned a couple of times. Um, and when he's not there, then we just got it's like we've got no idea. Um, the midfield's a bit lost. Uh, we also need to sign another striker as well because Dwight Gale is amazing, but everyone else is a bit shit. And we we all love Mitrovic uh, yeah. because he's got so much passion for the club, but he's a bit rubbish. It's like Shola Amiobi. Yeah, everyone, you love, everyone loves the trier. Everybody loved Shola Amiobi, but he was awful. <laughs> we were the same with uh, Ben Jani. Yes. Couldn't score for love nor money his first season, and then he scored when we beat uh, Wigan 2-1, which sealed us staying in the premiership after we kind of did the great escape when Harry Redknapp came back yeah and he was he was shit the whole season striker that only scored two goals then he scored something like 13 goals in the first few games of the season after and then we sold him to Man City and he never really pushed on from there he went to Blackburn and a few other places and then retired <laughs> uh, right now so the chicken's probably about done but yeah it's looking nice and golden brown there so oh, yeah. um Turn the heat up on that, and you're going to want to. You now the rice should be done as well. Pour in a little bit of uh, rice vinegar, 
um, you can use like a supermarket brand or I usually go for the uh, the Kickerman stuff oh, yeah. um, that you can get from the, the uh, oriental or Asian section of, of the supermarket uh, pull that in and fluff the rice up a bit serve that in the bowl and then you're going to want to cut the chicken into like thin strips lay that on top of the rice and then pour that lovely sauce on top of it and you're away to go so we're away to tuck into this katsu curry cannot wait thanks for listening uh, tune in next week where my guest will be Dean Windass and we're cooking chicken on crute oh, goodbye he's a lucky guy bye Hello, it's me again on behalf of LGR. I would like to apologize. I have no idea what the fuck that was all about. To be honest, I'm sick and tired of cleaning up after every mess they leave. It's not just their disregard for quality lapsed gamer content, but also their general attitude towards the quite beautiful offices of LGR. This place is a tip what with all the empty port whiskey and maple syrup bottles laying around, and don't get me started on the katsu curry smell that has infused itself into the furnishings. I've not even mentioned that fucking petrol head he is always revving his engines pretending he's driving through the Australian outback he needs to get a fucking grip. I've still not figured out who copped off with Anne during the staff Christmas party even though I've let it be known I am madly in love with her. As of today April 1st I will be taking executive command of all future podcasts, see you next week where normal services will be resumed. Thank you and goodbye.